0: You're listening to The Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about The Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Well, good morning again. If you just joined us, just come in the room. It's great to see you. Um, I don't know if this is good news or bad news, but today I've got a bit of a free week because I'm in between series, which means I tend just to have no filter and just say really what I want to say. And um, I just want to reiterate, just to begin with, a little bit of of what was shared in the communications. Um, Starting next week, but really for the next four or five weeks, it's a significant moment in the life of our church where we're going to be unpacking what does it mean for us to make room for more uh, in our church. So I really want to encourage you to get along to that. And if for some reason you can't, then please uh, catch up on live stream on the podcast, and um, it 's really exciting, but i 'm just super aware that all of us process in different ways. all of us are on a, a different stage of the journey so it 's really important to us that we take the time to walk through some things with the church, and that 's why i don 't just want to do it in in one week and This is kind of going to replace um, the vision series that we normally ha- happens at the beginning of a year, and so're we just because of what god 's doing i 'm had to take what we'd probably do January, February, and actually bring it into uh, October, November, which is exciting when God messes up your preaching rota and plans. Um, and we've got a lot going on uh, over the next few weeks, and we need to lean in and to um, be present and to be praying. Uh, we're going to be celebrating 30 year years as a church it's our birthday. Uh, it's another. We'll have another opportunity to step into radical generosity. Uh, we've got the bonfire night. Um, hopefully, we'll have what we what we wanted, which is a hundred guests on Thursday for the Alpha launch, which is just incredible, isn't it, Church? So thank you so much for um, yeah, creating a culture of invitation. And to do things which are unprecedented and really rare. We hosted a lot of church leaders here at our church this week from all different streams and denominations from throughout the city, which is just, again, an amazing thing that God is doing. And it's really rare, this kind of stuff. And it's precious. And it's kind of like a kairos moment. It's a season of, of opportunity and favor in the life of the church. And so. Uh, get on board and then of course um, city carols um, we only have on that six o'clock service about 200 seats left so that's about 1100 that have sold already in just a few weeks which is amazing isn't it can we just give um, God a round of applause Um, so make sure you get your tickets more importantly make sure you get tickets for people who don't know Jesus uh, I told the pastors this week, I just said, look, if the whole church in the city comes and know, and, and people who don't know Jesus turn up, then it's going to get a bit awkward when J. John does an altar call, and I said, I'll, I'll, I will stand up and respond if nobody else does, <laughs> and give my life to Christ for the hundredth time. And so um, we're going to open up another service at 3.30, and this will be a repeat Uh, of the six o'clock I think it might work a little bit better for some of you with younger families Uh, we've done an age guidance 11 plus and and just to say on that one you know some of you uh have probably spent years praying and longing for a moment like this to maybe bring some of uh some family and friends some neighbors who don't know Jesus and we want them to come be to actually hear the gospel presented and I don't know about you but just for us as a family our our two younger ones don't quite know how to sit through a sermon yet and so all we're saying is that just be uh, respectful of that and so uh, will you know if you're going to see a, a theater performance or that goes to cinema with friends you think all these things through you get a babysitter that's all we're saying and so that's why the week after we haven't really plugged this but I'll say it, is we're focusing very much on our kids by having live reindeer I mean come on so don't say we're not a kid-friendly family church, <laughs> crying out loud, we're getting live reindeer here, and, uh, and so that will be the following week. So lots of things to invite people to over Christmas, but we're going to open up another service, so please get along to that and invite your world. So this week, what I want to do is, is kind of frame all that's going to be said over the next few weeks. Uh, with a standalone message called first love and I'd love for us to turn to the last book in the Bible Revelation and yes I will do a series on end times don't know when um, but I will be doing that. Um, book of Revelation is a great book. Uh, some people can you can read it and struggle with it but it's a it's a beautiful book and so we're gonna look at Revelation two. Verse uh, 1 to 7. It's to the church in Ephesus. To so the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, these are the words of him, who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the heights from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Lord, give us ears and hearts and minds that hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Lord, help us not just to hear the words, but to put them into practice and be doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, this is a hard-hitting, confrontative passage, right? A lot of un-PC language that Jesus, is, Jesus uses in these few verses and it's so easy to read the Bible to read words we project or interpret what we see based on maybe where we're at and maybe what we associate with words there are some words like there repent and hate I hold this against you They are strong words. We've got to understand that God's word is beautiful. And that must be our first perspective. God's word is beautiful. It it builds us up. it, It feeds us. It encourages us and teaches us and equips us and trains us. But also it challenges us and like a loving God does, He also rebukes us through his word. God's word is always doing three things. God's word is first and foremost a mirror to our own lives. When we read God's word, it's like a mirror reflecting on the state of our heart. Secondly, it's a pair of glasses where we see God and who he truly is. Many people have opinions about God, but actually it's his word It's like a pair of glasses where we see truthfully who he is. And also, and always, God's word is an invitation to us to respond. So it's a mirror to our hearts. Every time I come in my own time and I just spend time in God's word, I'm first and foremost seeing it as a mirror to my own life. I'm seeing it as who God is, and then it's an invitation to respond to those two things. And my prayer is that this passage, these few verses, will do that to our hearts today. And I think that's so important because in today's culture, in our society, there are so many narratives and so many perspectives and scripts and invitations and mirrors and glasses that it's so easy for our worldview and our perspective to be askew. I don't know about you, but many of us can even interpret God's word or interpret life through our own pain. So we've got things going on. It doesn't matter what God's word says or what other people say to us is that we interpret everything with that shade and that shadow. Maybe it's through offense or pride. You've heard me say many times that your perspective is either your prison or it is your passport. Perspective is so important. Here's a great story on perspective. A father passing by his son's bedroom was astonished to see that his bed was nicely made and everything was picked up. Then he saw an envelope propped up prominently on the pillow that was addressed to Dad. With the worst premonition, he opened the envelope with trembling hands and read the letter. Dear Dad, it is with great regret and sorrow that I am writing to you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with mum and you. I've been finding a real passion with Stacy, and she is so nice. But I knew you would not approve of her because she is much older than I am. But it's not only the passion, Dad, she's pregnant. Stacy said that we will be very happy. She owns a caravan in the woods and has a stack of firewood for the whole winter. We share a dream of having many more children. Stacy has opened my eyes to the fact that marijuana doesn't really hurt anyone. We'll be growing it for ourselves and trading it with the other people that live nearby for other drugs. She deserves it. Don't worry, Dad. I'm 15, and I know how to take care of myself. Someday, I'm sure that we will be back to visit so that you can get to know your grandchildren. Love, your son, John. Dad, P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Tommy's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than the exam results that's in my center desk drawer. <laughs> and this is Jesus patrolling, if you like, his church and giving his unique perspective. Perspective is so powerful. And for those of you who remember school, or indeed at school, I have kids at school currently, you'll be familiar with dreaded school reports. And I've had recently I was looking at mine when I was at my parents' house, and of course you'd have the attainment grade and then the effort grade, and I don't know which was worse, if you got an A in attainment and a C minus in effort, or the other way around, and then you'd have a few comments. And I often wonder what Jesus would say about our church if he was writing a report card. In fact, I wonder what Jesus would say about the church if he was writing a report card in our city, in our nation, the nations of the world. In the book of Revelation, you have seven churches whom Jesus writes a report card about. It's a real mixed bag for these seven churches. Some have got an A or a nine for attainment. Some have got a three for effort and and vice versa. And so these are actual churches These are not imaginary, made-up churches. These are actual churches that Jesus is sending a message to, but they're also relevant for our churches today. The church in Ephesus. This incredible city was a hugely prominent and important city. It was renowned for being a city of culture and of great wealth and influence. And of course, in that, you have An influential and significant and important church. Jesus actually begins by commending the church. Commending the church for a number of things. Clearly, this church is a church that perseveres. Tick. This is a church which is known for its holiness and purity. Tick. This is a church known for its hard work. And in the end, you see that this is a church known for good, solid, sound doctrine, which is incredibly important for a church to thrive. These are the things that Jesus considers to be super important for a church. Well done. This is good. I see this in your church. And essentially, if you summarize that, this is a faithful church. This is a church known for its faithfulness. And so I want you to think about Jesus Christ, Jesus, the resurrected Lord and King, and his view is from the control room of the universe. And I just want to insert that with all the news that we're hearing in the last 24 hours, what's going on in Israel, I'm so pleased that the risen Lord Jesus sits in the control room of the universe. And it's something that um, if you come to our prayer meeting tomorrow night, we will be praying for. It's this Jesus who is both sitting down with his work that is complete because of the cross. It is finished. Three most powerful words in all of Scripture it is finished. Christ is sat down, and yet he is also standing as he lives to intercede for us. And the spirit of Jesus is among us and in us, and Christ will come again. This Jesus, where sometimes if we're really honest, if you've been on the Christian journey any longer than 24 hours, you realize it's tough sometimes. And you'll find yourselves asking the question sometimes, is this whole faith thing, Christian thing, Is it worth it? Is it really worth it? And I want to suggest to you that we're asking the wrong question. We should never ask the question, is this Christian faith worth it? We should always ask the question, is, is he worthy? Because if Jesus is worthy, it changes everything. And yes, Christ is worthy. As We see later on that he is the only one. John wept. Is there anyone worthy? Is there anyone worthy to open the scrolls and break the seals as history unfolds? Is anyone worthy? And yes, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the prophet, the priest, the king, the coming judge. This Jesus, imagine, this Jesus, he comes to all vineyard And he says, well done. Well done, church. I know you. And I I know your work. I know your commitment to purity. I know your faithfulness to sound doctrine and good theology. I know your perseverance. I know that in difficult times you aren't compromising in our culture. I know that you're not lazy. You're adding Room, you're adding new ministries and services and groups, and you're growing, and you don't just look like you're busy, you are actually busy and committed to hard work. But then he says, This yet I hold this against you. Yet I hold this against you. It's as though Jesus is like a doctor and he gets a a stethoscope out and he says, Hey, you look fantastic on the outside, you look fit and healthy. And yet, I listen to your heart and I listen to your lungs and something isn't right. Have you ever had that church? You know, you've gone to a, a nice restaurant, the reviews are great, the menu looks fab and you go and it is awful. I had that recently. I took my dad and my daughter out for a cup of tea into a local business and it was promised to be great. In fact, it had been in the whole Daily Mail as a great cafe. And it was shocking. The service, the treatment to my dad, the, everything, the food, the drink. I wrote a very long letter when I got home. <laughs> Just in case you think, am I one of those who likes to complain? Yes and no. But it's more that I'm committed to local businesses and I want to see them flourish. And that's what I said. I said, I want to be able to tell everyone about this place, and yet there are some significant issues. Anyway, I'll say off the point. (laughs) Maybe what's more relevant is you're on a Christian dating app. I don't know, I've never been on one. And you like the look of them, and then, of course, you meet them, and don't quite meet the CV that was sent (laughs) to that. So church, all this looks great. And it is great, and Jesus says it's great, but he says this, I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. Jesus' perspective as he patrols the church is you have a problem, you have a great problem. If you read about Paul's letter to the church in Ephesians, and if you read some of the stuff when Um, Paul is in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. You get to see some of the background to the church, if you cross-reference. And you would think that they have never lost their love for Jesus. If you read Acts 19, if you read the book of Ephesians, one of the most amazing letters in the Bible, you think, this church is red hot, red hot on fire there are myths for spiritual passion which the church particular, particularly in consumer church we can fall into the trap of thinking the church has passion, is on fire and is red hot for Christ but actually it is a facade. There was an elevation and emphasis of what you'd call super pastors and thankfully that platform and celebrity culture we see behind pastors, the Lord in his mercy is breaking those platforms down in our era and in our time. I'm thankful for that. But that is a myth of spiritual passion because people say, well, I I go to that person's church with that ministry. and We give to that church and that ministry and that leader, in inverted commas, it's a myth for spiritual passion. Miracles were happening. Wow. Let's go to that church down the road where miracles are happening. Surely they've got it right. Surely they're on fire for Jesus. What about cultural impact? They had a lot of that. What about he was missional and reaching out and doing alpha courses and doing city carols? They also had, read Ephesians, the most amazing sound doctrine. Doctrine. Beautiful doctrine. Sound theology. And I want us to understand, just to say this in parenthesis, as we go forward and we look at the next month at vision, there'll be lots of nods and mentions and focus and emphases on a number of these things that I've just talked about. But if we don't put first things first, which is our first love for Jesus, then actually... We risk our lampstand being removed. Jesus closes churches. He does. A lot of people may have put two and two together with COVID and everything, but Jesus will close churches. He removes lampstands. I want to tell you, church, I've wept more times than you can ever imagine for the church. It's the thing I weep about the most. But it is nothing. It is just a small, small glimpse of the heart of Christ for his church. He loves his bride. He loves his church. And we need to never apologize for his truth It's one of the things you can do when you're sharing your faith is that sometimes you just have to say what it says on the tin and what Jesus says and look, with all integrity, I'm trying to follow him. We never need to apologize for his truth. We can hide behind Christ and his words. And this is his truth that you have forsaken your first love. Note the two F's. Forsaken and fallen. Two things that have led to this they have forsaken they have dismissed they have sent away they have left they have drifted away from their first passionate love for jesus and forsaking always leads to falling it starts with forsaking slowly drifting sending away dismissing leaving and it leads to falling and they would have understood this language falling as you know, is a theme in the Bible. We have the great fall from Adam and Eve, and that there was an era in our history of the fall. And then, of course, Christ came redeemed, and one day there will be consummation. You have verses like, we have seen Satan falling like lightning. And, and if you read Ephesians, you see that these were, these were Christians, these were a church who understood what it meant to be raised with Christ. What Jesus had done is that they were now seated with Christ in heavenly places. And no, it talks about how high and wide and deep is the love of Christ. They understood all about dimensions, they understood all about heights. And, and, and the top of the mountain, the height for Jesus, is not mission, isn't sound doctrine. All those things are super important. Isn't purity super important? It is first love for Jesus. If you've ever gone somewhere like the Lake District and you've gone on a long walk and you've climbed up a mountain and you've gone up that mountain to see a beautiful view, it was all worth it, all worth the hard work for that view. The view, the top of the mountain, the height of all heights is first love for Jesus. For every follower of Christ, that is what it means. The view, the height is first love for Jesus. They knew, they understood this. So the goal here is a third F, first love. And in order to do that, Jesus says two things, two R's. You need to remember and you need to repent. So you've forsaken, you've fallen, you need to reestablish first love. You need to do two things, two R's. Remember and repent remember it is good to remember remember when you first became a christian i took our five-year-old to the church in wakefield cathedral where jesus first knocked on the door of my heart when i was eight years old recently a few weeks ago sat down in the same area of where i gave my life to christ I talked to her all through it. I talked what had happened. I said, do you want to say the prayer too that I said, that daddy said? And she said, yeah, go on then. I mean, this is the same prayer I lead her in most days, can I just say. You know, you, you finish reading a book at night and it's like, let's do the sinner's prayer. Remember. I'm never far off remembering. I'm never far off remembering when Christ rescued me and saved me remember the journals you filled with love for him and when he's speaking to you remember the I sometimes look at some of the emails I used to send I used to send newsletters when I was young and uh, when I came to university and I started in ministry and you read them now and they're so embarrassing so no filter so embarrassing in my love for Christ and my my zeal and longing for people to come into a relationship with him. That's exactly how it should be. Remember the zeal. Remember the radical obedience. Remember how you told your story and shared the gospel. Remember how radically lost you were in your sin until Jesus raised you up. Lost for eternity. And God came and radically rescued you. And when you have that and you have such thankfulness and gratitude, you can't help but tell the whole world, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I remember telling my friends, primary school, secondary school, I didn't mind telling them about their eternal destination. I didn't mind going in and telling a whole class that, hey, I had an encounter with Jesus the night before and I fell on the floor under... God's power and God's presence, I didn't care. Remember. Remember when you'd just be in the word. Remember when you'd pray. Remember you'd just turn up at every single meeting. <clears throat> Remember if somebody asked you to do something, lead a little Bible study or just do the notices and you'd fast for three days just to get the notices right. There's there's, there's an urgency. And I think for Christians, and and I'm I'm really sorry to kind of make this parallel, but I couldn't think of anything better. But it's often like dating someone and then getting married. So many Christians, they date, they date, they date, they get married and they stop dating. The goal was never ever to stop dating your spouse. You should be dating them for the, all your life and getting to know them and hang out with them and do life with them. And I know it's uh, popular in all the pre-marriage courses to have a date night, I get it. And um, it's a struggle sometimes. For Joni I've got four kids, having a date night is difficult. It's complicated, there are issues. There are ears everywhere and eyes. So you gotta be creative. You've got to have imagination. You've got to think about these things. You've got to plan and strategize. How many of us plan and strategize and are creative and use our imagination to spend time with the Lord Jesus Christ? We don't stop dating just because we got married. There's an urgency. Remember your love for Jesus, which overflowed in obedience. John talks about this. If you want to love God you've got to obey if you want to obey you've got to love God it's hand in hand that's what it means to love it's not a feeling it's about a choice it's about obedience and remembering is something we don't do because we're culturally conditioned and that's why we forget so much we don't live in a society where we, we pause often To remember and think. Because we're so often surrounded by noise and on our phones and everything. We don't sit and remember. So remember and then repent. So this isn't remember and don't do anything. This isn't remember the good old days. You hear that in church? I remember when we knew everyone. I remember when I could have my seat and nobody else had it. I remember the glory days where God was doing this and God was doing that. We're not talking about that kind of remembering. We talk about remember and then do something about it. Remember and choose to put first things first. So often people remember and then they judge others. Oh, look at, look at, look at, look at Craig. Craig in the church, he's, he's, he's just become a Christian bless him and he's, he's so naive and he's so on fire for the Lord, and he's at everything and he's passionate and he will soon calm down. <laughs> Let's pray for him. Let's pray for Craig. Church, we've got to be a people who look at Craig and think, "I need to repent. I need to repent. <clears throat> And do the things you did at first. I was remembering that old song we used to sing. I won't sing it. I won't bow to peer pressure. But it's this, give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. Come on, Joni, get on the keys. <laughs> give me... That was a joke. Anyway, um, you can if you want. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. The thrust of this text of Jesus is saying to the church is this is how you maintain spiritual fervor and passion for your whole life. You're going to maintain it for your whole life we need to remember and repent, and we need to do the things you did at first. It's like guarding a fire. It's like tending to a fire. It's like the fire, if it's left to um, the conditions of life, the winds, the storms, of discouragement, of disappointment, of distraction, of doubt, of all these things, then it will lead to drift. The fire will go out. And what Jesus wants to say is, "Keep the fire going." Guard it, tend to it, keep it alive, keep it aflame because ultimately drift leads to drown. That's why St. Paul said this, examine yourself to see if you are still in the faith. They're tough scriptures. Examine yourself. The writer to the Hebrews says, we must pay the most careful attention therefore to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. And self-scrutiny is not some kind of form of narcissistic self-love. It's a challenge to be aware of the state of our soul, our basic beliefs and practices, and to see if we are still conforming to the character of Christ and the teaching of Christ. If we don't know ourselves, if God's word is not a mirror to our hearts, if we don't know ourselves, we can end up fooling ourselves, and fooling ourselves, we become fools. We need to keep recalibrating, repositioning to Christ and his word. So church, I wanna encourage you this morning. Before we go into a series on vision and do this and do that, I, I need you to hear Christ's heart for us. Is to go back and do the things you did at first and fan the gift of God into flame again and let me just say to some of you in the room who are leaders in the church the responsibility of a leader is that we're to model these things a leader isn't about a title, title and turf, a leader is someone who models these things so that people around them go, I see someone who has set themselves on fire for Christ and I want to be near them So if you're a leader here and you think, I don't feel the warmth right now, the answer is is to come in to the warmth. And it's a choice. It's faith and then feelings. And I know in our world, which is kind of an emotionally driven culture, we wait to feel, hey, we, we wait to feel something before we come to the prayer meeting. We wait to feel a certain urgency before we do this or do that. No, come into the warmth. Stoke the fire personally and let, what, let other people watch you burn in all the different ministries and groups that we have. We must model first love. And so we have commendation, then a charge from Jesus and ultimately, you come to a point with first love for Jesus is that you just don't have any options other than Jesus in life. You don't have any other options. He is the option. It's, it's Him. You have no other choice. You, you've realized in life that Jesus is it. He's sufficient, He's all I'll ever need. I I don't get, even on on my worst day, I don't ever get to think there's some other option. It'll always be Jesus because he is my first love. Now, to help us as a church, and this this is twofold. I think this is to maybe reignite for some of you, to make a good choice to reignite first love. But secondly, to cover the next couple of months in prayer, I felt like uh, the Lord nudged me uh, over the summer um, that we needed to do a season of, of fasting as a church. Uh, 60 days of fasting. And um, what happened is, uh, I was on holiday, so I, but I just really felt the Holy Spirit's been. so I made some notes on my phone. And the next morning, I, I went to a, a local tennis club in uh, Bridlington. Never been there before, because uh, our girls wanted to play tennis. And so there was some... Courts that didn't look so good, and there were some really nice courts. So I said, "Let's go to the nice courts." And I go there, and there was a group of people, and they were playing tennis. And I spoke to this guy, and I said, um, "I said, what's the deal?" Here? He said, "Well, there, you know, kind of, we run the whole thing that the council owned, but th- this is where we play, and I'm the president of the tennis club." And I said, "Okay, great. Well, look, we'd like to play on these courts, these nice ones. Is that okay?" He said, "Well, we're we're about to leave and lock up, and you can play on those ones." He said, "But do you know what? I'll stay around." I said that's brilliant so my girls had a a game and I started speaking to this guy and um, he was the president of the tennis club anyway it turns out his his name is Anthony John Clark which was weird and he's the treasurer of of a significant local church that many many years ago I considered applying to that church so he was he was a Christian and his name was John Clark that's weird And he starts to talk to me about fasting. And he starts to talk about what his church, and actually a network of churches do all uh, up the East Coast, um, do together as joint churches, which as you know, or some of you will know, that that's a a real heart for us. We'd like to do multi-sites and church planning up the East Coast of of Yorkshire. So this is really like one of those God moments. And... um, and he told me the strategy and then I got my phone out and I said, look here, this, this is what the Lord spoke to me yesterday, we should do. And this is exactly what you just told me you're doing. And, and I, I, this is just amazing. And all happening in Bridlington at a tennis court. Who, 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 who knew? And so um, what the strategy is, is that rather than doing like a whole week where we you know, just go off and fast and, and then come to some prayer meetings, what we're saying is that, you can sign up on our, on our website. If you go to Watson, there's prayer and fasting, and fasting, you can sign up. And what we're looking for people to do is to pick a day, pick a day privately where you can fast. And so I'd, I'd love for us to cover the next 60 days. So actually, I'm only asking for 60 people, or maybe some will do multiple days, but actually, pick a day. Uh, it could be a Monday, it could be a Friday, it could be a, a date, you know, 2nd of November, whatever, where on that day you choose to fast. And it could be a a meal, it could be three meals, it could be a certain type of fast where you'll just eat or drink certain things. Whatever you feel the Lord is asking you to do, we'd like to uh, go on that journey of fasting. And and I think by doing that, by just leaving here, I think it's putting this into action. It's saying, look, I'm gonna choose to put a day aside um, to fast so that I can feast on him. And so that I can put first things first again. I'm saying to God and to my own heart where we have a proclivity to, to go off on one. And we say, no, I need to arrest this drift now and I need to fast and focus on the Lord Jesus and, and allow him to speak to my heart and my priorities in life. And I think whilst we're doing that, we can also pray into all the things that God is doing among us uh, in this significant season. Uh, does that sound good? So um, go on the website and it's, it's all there and uh, that, will, uh, that will take you. So pick a day and it'd be amazing just to, to fill uh, all, those, all those days. Um, why do you stand and let's pray. Thank you for listening to the whole Vineyard podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect and stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.